Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Criterion critics are back with another review of one of the films from our ever-expanding libraries. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And this month we're reviewing 1997's The Ice Storm with Kevin Klein, Joan Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Tobey Maguire, Elijah Wood, who am I forgetting? Oh, Christina and Christina Ricci. How could I forget her? And this is number 426 on the Criterion release schedule. But before we get into our discussion of that Criterion disc, first, let's talk about the upcoming Criterion releases. And uh, since we took half a year off, we're way behind on the films that have been released. So we're going to play catch up now. And we're going to do two months, uh, November and December of 2021, finishing off last year. Uh, on November 2nd of last year, uh, 1954's La Strada, uh, director Federico Fellini's dramatic film about a carefree girl who is sold to a traveling entertainer who subsequently endures physical and emotional pain along the way. Uh, previously had been released in a DVD version and on Blu-ray in the Fellini collection, now being released on Blu-ray uh, as an individual film for the first time. On November 16th, Criterion decides to join the 21st century and releases Mulholland Drive on 4K, uh, its first 4K release uh, from 2001. Director David Lynch's seductive and scary vision of Los Angeles tells the tale of an amnesic woman and a perky Hollywood hopeful searching for clues and answers across the city about their past that ventures beyond dreams and reality previously had been released on a Blu-ray release now being released on 4k. And as I stated before, the first 4k film, not the first one, not the only one we're going to be talking about today. Also on November 16th, uh, once upon a time in China, the complete films collection from 1991 to 1997, uh, one of the pinnacles of the Hong Kong cinema's 1990s golden age, the once upon a time in China series sets a new standard for martial arts spectacle and launched action star Jet Li to international fame has all five films in the series uh, contained in the box set with the first three films presented in 4k restorations. On November 23rd, for the first time ever, Citizen Kane uh, is being released onto Criterion, both in a 4K as well as Blu-ray version. Uh, this 1941 film by director and star Orson Welles, uh, which is his seminal work, tells us the life of publishing tycoon Charles Foster Kane as reporters scramble to determine what the icon's dying words, Rosebud, mean. Also on November 23rd, 1993's Menace to Society, 4K and Blu-ray versions of that film were released. The Hughes Brothers' directorial debut tells the story of a young street hustler who attempts to escape the rigors and temptations of the ghetto in a quest for a better life. On 
December 7th of 2021, 2020's One Night in Miami is released on Blu-ray, just Blu-ray, since we've been talking about 4K restoration or 4K (laughs) films. Director Regina King's Academy Award nominated fictional account of One Incredible Night where historical icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and the cultural upheaval of the 1960s. On December 14th of 2001, saw the release of 1948's The Red Shoes in 4K, Powell and Pressburger's Academy Award-winning film that tells the story of a ballet dancer who is torn between the man she loves and her pursuit to become a prima ballerina. Uh, Previously has been released on DVD and Blu-ray, being released on 4K for the first time. And then finally, also on December 14th of last year, 1969's The Learning Tree, Director Gordon Park's bittersweet and idyllic story about a year in the life of 14-year-old Newt Winger, born into a poor black family in Kansas, who learns about love, fear, racial injustice, and immorality. Uh, That is being released on Blu-ray, not a 4K release. So, Chad, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight films. Of these films, which which one is the one that you're likely to go out and pick up first? Okay, because of your stunning review of Mulholland Drive on Blu-ray uh, for this podcast, I went out and bought myself a copy of that oh, uh, Blu-ray. Are you going to go get the 4K? <laughs> I will not. I'm going to get through the Blu-ray first. So I consider Citizen Kane the finest film ever made. So I'm in that group. So if I'm going to buy any of these, I'm going to go get the 4K version of Citizen Kane. Okay. Can't say I disagree with you. Uh, I am. I too would be going out and picking up uh, Citizen Kane. That would be my first pick, and in the 4K version. Right. Uh, I have Red Shoes already. I have Mulholland Drive already in the Blu-ray versions or Blu-ray versions. I, to be honest with you, I doubt I would go out and pick up Mulholland Drive and upgrade it to 4K. It's uh, although it's probably visually stunning. I. I thought mine was pretty clear watching on my 4K television when I watched it. The red shoes, I'd be kind of curious about. That that one is a is visually stunning. I, I I might want to see that 4K version so that I could see myself picking that one up. And Lestrada, I already have as well. Uh, I have it as part of the Fellini collection that I bought last year. So, you know, so I had three of these already. Of the other ones, Menace to Society, I'm interested in. I haven't seen it in a long time. I've never seen any of the Once Upon a Time in China films, although I like Jet Li, so I'm kind of mildly curious. One Night in Miami was good. Uh, I don't know if I'd go out and buy it, and I have never seen The Learning Tree. So, <laughs> and, yeah, I'd be very curious to see what a criterion of Citizen Kane has in store as well. I do not own a physical copy of it. I just own a digital copy. So I'd like to actually see uh, the 4K version plus all the bells and whistles that come along with a criterion yeah all right what about a film that you would like to see be released on criterion chad okay so here's one i it's one of my favorite movies of all time unfortunately i don't think it'll ever make a criterion because i think everybody involved with it has pretty much been canceled quote unquote at this point in time but i would like to see the usual suspects brought to criterion i think it's an extraordinary movie with an extraordinary cast and I love ensemble casts, so I'd like to hear what everybody involved has to say about this. But it's one of those I think it would be tough to get it made, but I think it would be extraordinary if they were able to do it. You know, 
one of my all-time favorite films, put it in my top 100 of all time. Uh, I think I've previously on a podcast mentioned that that should be put on the criterion, um, much to the chagrin of Gabriel Byrne, who complains about how little money he makes on the various different versions. They keep constantly releasing of that film. <laughs> uh, you know, for mine, I, you know, I tried, I was wondering where I was going to go. Usually I try to keep it connected to the film reviewing. Right. And this one was uh, almost contemporaneous with this film is there was possibly two films with Christina Ricci. I mean, she was really branching out at this point in time into independent cinema, uh, the opposite of sex that came out, mm -hmm. I think in 97 or 98. And then I know it's not a, it's not a well-regarded film, but I liked it because I liked the book so much. And I thought she did a good performance in it. Prozac nation. Uh, yeah, which it's came a very out, good movie. Yeah. I, I, really enjoyed the book when it came out and I really uh, was looking forward to the film. I thought she was, uh, she was cast really well. And I thought, I think each of those films, especially Prozac nation, there's so much about the book and about the author that they could incorporate in a criterion. And the opposite of sex was kind of uh, Christina Ricci branching out and becoming to a certain point, to a certain level, a sex symbol, sex symbol in the late nineties. So that would be one that I would like to, uh, to see uh, kind of revisited and see what her, her insight and her opinions are on that film at this point. And I'll give you with Prozac nation, if they can bring that cast together, cause that's a odd group of uh, yes. <laughs> people when you got Jason Biggs and Ann Hache, if I remember correctly, and the legendary Jessica Lang, just to name a few, that would be a fun, fun trip to hear what they have to say about anything. Yeah. If you can get them to come back and talk about that, that I think, I think that would be really insightful as to the, uh, that film. All right. Well, going on to our film for this month, the ice storm from 1997. Uh, usually we start by talking about what versions we have. Uh, I have the Blu-ray version. Chad, what version do you have? Yes, I, too, have the Blu-ray okay. copy right here in front of me. All right. So starting with the cover, uh, the cover for the Blu-ray is a primarily black cover. Uh, what looks like it, a melting ice, if you will, like almost on a windshield with red lights uh, in the background kind of being, I don't know, prismed uh, by the, the ice on the screen. Uh, very similar on the back. It doesn't have the red lights, but it looks like melting ice on some sort of window screen. I'm assuming you have the same cover I do. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it looks like you're looking through a windshield at a flashing red light, which is a pivotal part of the movie. Correct. I guess that's what my interpretation is. Right. The disc itself is just an image of a tree uh, with ice on it uh, at night. Uh, the inside, the back of the uh, slip case is just an image of more ice. Then there's the booklet, uh, which has a cover. Once again, looks like a reflection looking through a window. I would think that's Joan Allen off to the left. A television with uh, Richard Nixon on it. Uh, both of them look like they're being reflected off uh, a window at night looking out outside. And on the back of the, that booklet, you have a tree with melting ice. And inside of it, you have various different pictures and stills from the film. So... Uh, Chad, what do you think of the the case for the film? If you didn't know the movie, you would think this case is extremely boring and has no real purpose. Uh, like I said, this is a critical part of the movie, so I think that's what they were trying to interpret with the case. However, I think it's very benign and not 
all that appealing in the grand scheme of it. And if I was buying something just off of the cover, uh, this would not be the film I would go after. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a kind of interesting selection. It's very artistic. And I like when Criterion reaches for artistry <laughs> and doesn't just grab a movie, uh, a movie poster and put it on there. This doesn't capture what this film is about. The way you describe that is somebody looking at this would think of this film as kind of boring or uninteresting. <laughs> and I agree with you on that. It's, it's literally watching ice melt, um, which can be boring and uninteresting. It, it does not capture the dark elements, dark comedy elements of this film. Yeah. If you didn't know anything about the film, you'd be hard pressed to get any kind of semblance of what the story is about without actually knowing what you were purchasing the the ice storm itself so i like the colors of it but I, I want from my perspective i wanted something more i wanted something that tells me about the film i mean you don't even get an idea who's in the film at all exactly exactly and that's my thing i agree with you i mean some of these they try to go like say bull durham for example that's one they tried to go really artsy in a weird way that doesn't really match the film then you have uh the what was the last one I did with you? The Big, Big Chill, Chill, which is the cast and a poster, and it looks really, really artistic. But with both of those, you sort of get a feel for what the film is if you don't know what the film is. This one, you, you're completely lost. It's just they're trying to throw some, I don't know, some artistic piece out of a museum on here, and it just doesn't quite fit in any way, shape, or form. No, I, I agree. So uh, I, I would say, I don't want to say I hate it, I, I like the color aspect of it. I just need something more. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right. What about the conversion quality of the film? How good was your picture? How good was your sound when you watched it? I liked the picture and I liked the sound. This is one of those that, like we said, it takes place in 1973. So you're going to have a lot of those weird pastel, I guess, or muted colors and all that stuff. And it, all the colors popped really well on my television. Um, the sound was really good uh, for what little music they had. The music popped really good. I had no real issues. The only other time I had ever really seen this was on a cable version, and I think I owned a DVD of it back in where it first came out. But past that, I thought it all looked beautiful myself. You know, I mean, it's it's a fairly recent film, so it was shot on film. It wasn't shot on digital, and it looks very crisp, very clear. But I wouldn't expect it to be that much degradation from uh, a 1990s film. The sound was a little quiet, and uh, which was kind of surprising. I did have to turn it up a little bit to, to hear it during some of the dialogue scenes that it it didn't come through as clearly, but it's a quiet film as well. I mean, it's not even the music that you do have in it is not very bombastic and overpowering. It's very subtle. And one of the things that I guess stood out for me is most of the film or not most, but a lot of the film has a native American flute being played in the background. And I thought it resonated very well because I think it transitioned scene to scene shows you the nature of the Connecticut woods and all that that everybody lives in and i just thought it sounded really good the way that flute came through because it, to me it is an extra character in this uh, movie all right well uh, let's get on to what we really care about <laughs> typically with the criterion the extras that come with it 
first and foremost, as always, uh, is there is a commentary on this film uh, by Ang Lee and producer and screenwriter James. Uh, I want to is it Seamus, which yeah, I always say it. Yeah, which was made for the Criterion's DVD release of the film in the late two thousands. So it was not created for the Blu Ray version, but it was created for Criterion. Uh, the original theatrical trailer is included. Uh, a documentary called Weathering the Storm, which has interviews with Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Joan Allen, Toby McGuire, Christina Ricci, and Elijah Wood discussing the characters they play and their impressions of Ang Lee and his directing style. Uh, it was made and produced for the Criterion in 2007. An interview with author Rick Moody, who is the, the person who wrote the book, The Ice Storm, which the film is somewhat adapted on, discussing his experiences with his novel being adapted and the film, which seems to be kind of back and forth with liking it or disliking it. <laughs> but I think overall he liked it. Uh, you have four deleted or four deleted scenes uh, with commentaries by producer and screenwriter, screenwriter James Seamus. Uh, and from, from the film you have, uh, a interview with Ang Lee and screenwriter James Seamus again uh, at the New York Museum of Moving Images uh, recorded. Uh, it was an interview in 2007, was not made for Criterion, but uh, is included in this discussing the entirety of Ang Lee's career up to that point in time. Uh, you have a section called The Look of the Ice Storm, which has interviews with cinematographer Frederick Elms, production designer Mark Freeberg, and costume designer Carol Oditz. And then finally, you have the booklet that I was describing earlier, which has an essay by film critic Bill Crone. And that is the extras, at least I have on my Blu-ray. Do you have any? I don't think there is a different version of this. Oh, no, I think it's all straight up. I think you hit everything. All right, so looking at all the extras we have and wa having watched them all, what do you think potentially is missing? Is there anything that you, after getting done, that you went, oh, I would like to have heard more about this? Well, I guess the part of it that I guess I was, I don't say is really missing, I guess was incomplete, is a lot of these are rather short in length. And I'm not saying I need a whole lot more depth, but... The story behind this um, movie comes from the book, as you said, by Rick Moody. And he has about a 20-minute interview here. And throughout his interview, he more discusses some of the differences between the book and the, uh, the movie. And he likes to discuss, you know, how good he thought it all came out. But you get a little sense of hostility in him that things just didn't match up the way he originally depicted them with the book. And I wish I could have seen more of how his vision in the book versus Ang Lee and Seamus's screenplay ended up being translated because I think if you read the little pamphlet inside the book or inside the DVD case, they get a little bit deeper into the differences. And I think Moody's interview is just a little short and not as full a scope. And then the rest of the stuff, I think, is just a little bit short in scope as well. Uh, it, it's just lacking a little bit in every area. I don't want to say anything's really missing. I just think what they had could have been a little bit more put into detail to expand on how this movie was made. You, you know, they discuss repeatedly, and, and, and I will agree with you that the, just 
everything's there. All the principal actors are interviewed. Ang Lee is interviewed multiple times. So you, so you hear his voice. It's, it's consistently through the extras. You get to, you hear from Moody, the, the original creator of the novel. But one of the things they kind of hint at was this, the novel was more black comedy than the film turned out to be. And they touch upon that multiple times, but they don't really discuss why it came out that way. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. And even the deleted scenes, especially the scene where they talk about uh, or they show Ben Hood in his office and how he's talking about organs, sexual organs and things of that nature that were supposed to be in the movie for comedic purposes didn't ever seem to be funny. <laughs> and I was thinking how, okay, I want to know how you were supposed to make this a dark comedy because it really isn't. There are some cute, funny moments, but yeah, I agree with you. I don't know how this was supposed to be seen as a dark comedy in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that they hint at is like, Hey, at the end of this film, a kid dies. <laughs> so, and you know, how, we, how we were going to take this, an audience on this ride of comedy to come to that point in time. I'm like, well, I've seen comedies do that. You know, that's not un it's not uncharted waters, but I agree with you that what, what is there ain't, isn't really funny. I mean, it's interesting, but it's not funny, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you can see little Sandy blowing up his toys with uh cherry bombs or M eighties or whatever those little, firecrackers are i mean you can find that to be cute especially when his mom's like ducking thinking she's getting shot at by something you get to see scenes like that but most of it i really don't find too humorous i mean again cute but how did the book how was it ever going to be a dark comedy how were the producers and ang lee seeing this as a dark comedy when they pitched it to the studios to get the thing made in the first place i mean and then turn it into just a more straightforward uh, family drama in the final product. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. What about the quality and quantity of the extras we do have? Uh, are there is there sufficient uh, quantity of them, and are they high level uh, criterion extras? I, again, I, I hate to say it again, but again, I think there are plenty of things here, and I agree with you. All the pieces are there. They're just, I don't know, a little bit lacking. I enjoy having the feature where you get to see all the cast members in the little commentary section where they all give their opinions on their characters in the movie and Ang Lee and all that good stuff. But I would have liked to have seen them all together in one room having a discussion with each other. So to me, a lot of the stuff is just lacking in that, like I said, Moody's interview is a little bit lacking. I appreciate the uh, sit down at the MOMI uh, with uh, Angley and uh, Mr. Seamus um, when they talk about things. But again, even that one, it, the way it's chopped up and edited, you just it's like they're trying to get through it really, really fast. You get some content, but it's just like a stand up act. They're trying to finish off as soon as possible. But again, I like everything that they have. I just think there's a, there could have been more to make it extraordinary or as you were probably thinking um a spartacus level <laughs> well uh these definitely is not spartacus level but the extras that they are have they are high quality i mean as i said all the pieces are there uh they're just cursory 
and that's all they're they're not diving deep into kind of the the movie making experience with the exception of, you get some inter- the interviews with kind of the production people the cinematographer the production designer and the costume designer they they go into a lot of detail of it but they they very much their specific portions of it um, right. And I, even with them, you don't even see them. You mainly see what they're talking about correct. and you hear them speaking. So it's I don't really remember ever getting to see what their facial expressions, what who they really are. Uh, you just get their names and what their rank and serial numbers are and then how they <laughs> put their portion of the art together. Uh, it's cool. And I thought all that was really, really nice because this is a period piece. So you have to understand where. I think the Ang Lee Bible of 1973 came from and how it was then interpreted and the art and the costumes and everything were then put on the actors and actresses. Uh, that was all fascinating. But again, I would have liked to have seen the people speak as well. Right. Yeah. But uh, the, the number of extras that are on here are pretty impressive. They are very, very much focused on the film. Even the interview with Rick Moody is the discussion is about the film, not about his book so much. Right. He, he mentioned some differences. He, he, I think we've covered it pretty well. This, this kind of love hate relationship he has with it, that he kind of abandoned the project and then kind of came back to it. And because he thought they were being very true to it. And I, I've read where he wept during the end credits because he loved the film so much. But I, I think he fr- he's very much frustrated in that it is not, uh, it is not an identical uh, a recreation of his book in, in that regard. And, and I, it was one of those things I often wondered since he, from what I, my understanding of the book, and I haven't read it, but just what I understand about it, that essentially he is the Paul character in the book. Um, so when you're trying to possibly see a version of your life story on the screen, and it may not be your a true adaptation to what you wrote about and the book you created maybe about yourself. I could probably see where he would have some conflict, but like you said, he did come around and ultimately loved it once the final product did hit the screen. All right. What about your favorite extra from the criterion disc that we had? Which one did you like the most? Um, I'm always going to love uh, weathering the storm, which is the documentary that where you get to see and hear Kevin Klein and Sigourney Reaver and Joan Allen and Tony, Bo- yeah, Toby Boguire and Christina Ricci and Elijah Wood. And I believe Ang Lee as well discussed this flick and their interpretation of their characters and where their inspirations came from. And uh, I believe they even spoke about the rituals that Ang Lee put everyone through to get them ready for shooting and how he directed them and his methodology. Those type of things I always think are very, very important because if you don't get the actors and the actresses telling you how the producers and the directors and the cinematographers had them do what they do, you're not really going to appreciate the final end product. And I think this commentary was, even though I think it's a little bit short at about 35, 40 minutes, I think it was very good and was still my favorite part. No, I'm going to agree with you. I, I, I thought the commentary to the film was good because you had Ang Lee and Seamus talking about it, um, and it was created for the Criterion. But the weathering the storm was – it has the star power. It's where all the actors are, and this is where they had their input onto this Criterion. And it was it was really fascinating to hear them talk about their experiences. Once again, you had five or six – some of Hollywood's biggest actors and actresses talking very, very, very briefly and succinctly about their remembrances of the experience making this film. And I would have liked to have seen 
a little bit more of that, that cursory level, but I, I was not disappointed in what I did have there. And I, I did, I, and I, that was by far my favorite uh, portion of the criterion disc. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I, and if I had to say a second thing I did like anytime or well, the interview with the, the Lee and Seamus at the museum of moving images and even the commentary, I like listening to those two speak together because you can tell they've worked together numerous times. They have a good rapport. Um, they're almost like a buddy comedy act um, where they can feed off of each other very quickly and sharply. They're definitely friends uh, behind the scenes as well because they know a lot about their person, each other's personal lives, and they can make fun of each other in many, many different ways. And that's always entertaining, especially during a commentary where you're rewatching the film and you're hearing them speak about the details of the film, but having fun with it and having fun with each other. All right. Final question for the podcast is the film worthy of a criterion edition. And would you recommend picking it up? Yeah, I definitely say it's worthy of a criterion edition. This is one of the best films of the 1990s. In my opinion, I think it's very underrated and underappreciated um, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it was a, a success at the box office in any way, shape, or form. And most people caught it either on cable or VHS or DVD eventually. And I'm glad Criterion recognizes how brilliant it is and gave it all the extras so we could learn about it and see how it was created behind the scenes by the actors and actresses, the directors, producers, the 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 designers, the art directors, all that good stuff. And yes, I would recommend anybody please watch it. Cause I think it's a beautiful translation of the movie. Um, the sound is good and ever all the features and extras are very, very good. All right. So you asked to review this. You want to come on. You asked, I want to review yeah. big chill and you want to, I want to review the ice storm. And I said, ah, yeah. Kevin Klein fan. That's what I thought. Yes. <laughs> so. But, yes, you get to Indiana University, so I'm, ever, I'm oh, always going to look on top of that. I did not know that. Thank you. That did not come out in any of the extras. What what a oh, shame. Yeah. So, but, but, you know, I had saw I saw this film. I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it when it came out on VHS back in the in the 90s, probably almost the first or second week it came out. Saw it, watched it, thought it was OK, forgot it and never have revisited it again the entire time. So I have not seen it for about 23, 24 years. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, you picked it and I went, okay, I'll pick up the Criterion disc. And and this is where I, I, I really like, begin to like Criterion because watching the film, I, I'm, I'm looking at the kind of the artistry of it. It's the second time seeing it. And I was like, wow, visually, this is, wow, this is really shot really well. That's something I didn't pick up on that pan and scan VHS copy that I saw many years ago. And the performances are really good because Elijah Wood was pretty much a nobody to me. Katie Holmes was definitively a nobody to me. She has a small part in the film. Uh, you know, Toby Maguire, I did not know at all at, at that moment in time. I knew Joan Allen. I knew who Kevin Klein and Sigourney Weaver were, and I knew who Christina Ricci was, but I, it was, it was very interesting to go back and revisit this after so much time. And then to go through the extras, it's it, it really gave me a much deeper appreciation for the film and what they were you know trying to accomplish, and I think successfully accomplished with this film, that 
I would have told you that the front end, I would probably have said, now nah, this isn't worthy of a criterion, but I had to change my mind. Uh, yeah, this is definitively uh, worthy of a criterion. I really enjoyed this one. I really much, uh, very much like this film much better than when I came into this experience of watching everything on the criterion. And I would recommend anybody pick it up because there are some stellar acting performances and there's a lot of just beautifully, beautifully shot scenes um, through uh, through the, the by the cinematographer in this case, and and I would highly recommend it to anybody who's kind of a cinephile who likes uh, just well-made films. You're very welcome, Patrick. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for this month's review of the Ice Storm. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast. If you've had a good time, the fun doesn't have to stop here. Uh, you can follow us on Pinterest or Twitter at MH Memories. On either one of those social media outlets, you can keep yourselves informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries, news on upcoming theatrical releases and trailers, and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. And don't forget to subscribe to our account on YouTube, where we're now releasing our podcasts exclusively. Once there, if you subscribe to the account, you can get updates on when we post new material. You can give us a like or a dislike, or even leave a, a comment about either the film that we're reviewing, our opinions about said film, or even suggestions for a criterion you would like us to review someday in the future. Of course, we always like the reviews that are positive, but we appreciate any feedback that we can get from any listeners of the show. Well, that does it for this episode of Criterion Critics. Uh, Chad and I are going to review this film for Movie House Concessions. It's going to come out here in a couple months. Uh, but next month here on Criterion Critics, Chris is going to come and join me again. And we're going to review 1947's Nightmare Alley, number 1078 on the Criterion release schedule. Until then, I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And we'll see you all next time at our house. Podcast is not endorsed by the Criterion Collection and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for Criterion Critics, Miami Nights main theme, is provided courtesy of Kevin McLeod at incomputech.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Criterion Critics, and the Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC, unless otherwise noted.